life. Life is awesome. Life is crazy. Insane, messy, beautiful, scary, hard, fantastic. Life is amazing. That's why we're pro-life. But what does that even mean? Well, to be pro means to be for something. So sure, we're for life. We're for a lot of things. We're for women, for moms, for dads, for families. We're pro riding bikes, pro toes in the sand, pro first day of driving, first day of school, last day of school. We love life because it's life and everyone has a right to life. So when a woman is anticipating a life, what does she need? She needs to know she's not alone. She needs people to celebrate that life, the ups, the downs, the oh, he has your eyes and what a stinker moments. She needs people to walk with her through her journey. See, it's all about equipping and empowering and getting the word out that to be pro-life is to be pro-people. So join us, dream with us, reach, embrace, listen, act, love with us because we can't do this alone. Together, we can reframe the narrative. Together, we can help people live. Together, we are pro-life. This morning, you're probably thinking, what have I gotten myself into today uh, with the topic that we may be discussing? But I'm begging you just to uh, wait this one out. Let's, uh, let's have some fun this morning, actually. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I think story is powerful. I'm deeply impacted by story, and I, I think we all are. So what I'd like you to do is the person sitting next to you, it could be your husband, your wife, your uh, aunt, uncle, your significant other. I want you to turn to that person and give them the top two movies you've ever seen. Most impactful story movie you have ever seen. 30 seconds, go. Right now, I'd like to hear a lot of talking. This is your one chance you get to talk in church. Don't be afraid. Powerful story. About 10 more seconds. Okay. Now I could call out, uh, but I'm really hard of hearing. I wear hearing aids, so. Uh, I'm not going to do that because I'll keep saying what, what, what. So I'm going to tell you some of mine. Um, for me, there's a movie called Remember the Titans. Has anybody ever seen that movie? How many like think that that's like one of the great, like if you're into football, you're ready to strap on some pads and a helmet and go now. Um, 
Remember the Titans. If you've ever, if you remember the 1980 uh, Miracle on Ice, if you've, have you seen that movie Miracle? What a great movie. I mean, I, I'm, not, I don't even, I'm not into hockey. I used to be a hockey chaplain. The guys that would come to chapel, few of them had teeth, but man, they were fun guys, you know? Um, most real guys in the world. So Miracle is one. Um, there's, a, there's a movie that a lot of young people haven't seen that they need to see, but it, is, it moves me. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody seen the movie? Raise your hand if you know of the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Every Thanksgiving, it's a spiritual discipline in the Isaacs family. That night, we bake, you know, get a bunch of popcorn, get some soda, get around the TV. The kids are like, oh, no, here we go again. Dad's going to cry. They pass out about an hour and a half in because it's a little bit long of a movie, but, man, is it good. And my wife usually passes out, and at the end, I'm crying again. I'm signing up for life again. You know, I want my life to count. George Bailey gets the opportunity to see what the world would look like if he had never lived. It's such a powerful movie. And then there's this one, if you've ever remember, you remember a guy perhaps by the name of Forrest Gump? If I said life is like a box of chocolates, you would say, you never know what you're going to get. Mama always said that, by the way, right? Well, in 1994, Forrest navigates his way through decades of American history. The movie talks about this. And he finds himself present at important events. He stumbles into great success and does his best to maintain relationships with those he loves. And the book and the film is, is bookended by this feather. I don't know if you remember the feather that's floating along. You, anybody remember that? And it's this beautiful music playing, and the feather goes around, and it, it travels through the air and through the town and underneath the car, and eventually it lands beside this dirty tennis shoe as he's sitting on this bench in Savannah. And at the end of the movie, Forrest Gump has married a girl named Jenny, if you remember the movie, and Jenny has died. And he's standing next to this big oak tree, and he's looking at her gravesite, and he says these words. He says, I don't know if we all have a destiny or if we're all kind of floating along, kind of accidental-like, like a breeze. And I want to ask you all a question this morning. Do you believe that you have a destiny? Do you believe that you have a purpose? Or do you feel like you're just bouncing around? Philosophers ask these questions, you know, who am I and why am I here? It's something that at some point in our life we all struggle with. Like, what is my purpose? And, and in Christian circles, sometimes we'll even put it this way. What is God's will for my life? What do you want me to do with my life, God? I want my life to count. Are you passionate about finding that young person, that will, God's will for your life? Because I know I was. And I thought I had it planned out pretty well, and then, then things happen, and I, and I, but what I do, I do want is I want God's plan for my life, and I do believe that we all have a God destiny in some way. Every one of us. It doesn't matter who signs the front of our paycheck. It's what is God's plan for our life, and so in, the, in that way, I'd like to share some of the highlights of my journey with you this morning. And while I've never been to Vietnam in a war, and I've never owned a shrimp boat like Forrest, and I've never run across America several times, my life has been shaped by the words spoken to me, about me, 
and over me. And they continue to shape my life to this very day. And I'm sure some of these words are words that you've heard before. So here we go. Let's, let's talk about these in no particular order. Coming in at number, and we'll say number eight. Uh, hopefully I'll get to share some of these, all these, but, but we're going to share number eight. And that is, are you ready? All guys are jerks. It's powerful. I had a plan in college <laughs> that worked well for, for Brent. It just didn't work well for me. I had this plan that I was going to meet this girl when I was in college as a sophomore in college that I was going to fall in love with. She was going to be the most beautiful girl in the world, and I was going to begin the dating relationship. We were going to date my junior year, and at the end of my junior year, she will realize that I was God's plan for her life. <laughs> and I would ask her to you know, marry me. I'd get down on one knee, and she would say, of course. And then we would spend our senior year kind of like in a self-actualization mode, like where we didn't have to worry about anything. Our grades, they didn't even really matter. Why? Because we were getting married at the end of the year. And we, you know, that I'd graduate one day, and then the next day I'd go to the chapel, and we're going to get married, kind of like the old song would sing. Except that didn't happen. And man, did I kind of... I, I kind of lost my way after college. I kind of lost my purpose in some ways. And, and then we started this Bible study, me and some guys, and God really started to get a hold of my life. And on Friday nights, we would meet on Friday nights, and let me tell you something, I didn't want to meet on Friday nights to study the Bible. I wanted to go out on dates or, or have fun and party. But these guys, we got together, and the only time they could do it was Friday night, so I didn't want to look unspiritual, so we started Friday night Bible study. Well, it went from three to about 100 in three months. And around number 50, this girl walks in. And one of these guys says to me, you need to ask that girl out. And if you don't, I'm going to. Okay. But I said to him, because I wanted to sound spiritual, well, I'm really just trying to focus on God right now. But, but he said something that made me kind of create a little urgency that he was going to. And I, I, I didn't want him doing that. So I, I said, okay, so... I have to figure out how to engage the girl in a conversation before I can ask her out on a date. So I, she comes into Bible study one day, and she says, I, I say to her, I thought I'd you know, at least talk to her before I ask her out on a date. I said, um, how are you doing this evening, April? Now, what do you, when you ask someone, how are you doing, what are you supposed to say? Fine. She didn't say that. She said, horrible. I didn't know what to do with that. So I said, well, and then it occurred to me, this might be my time. I said, well, maybe we can discuss it after Bible study. We had this really good Bible study. And then in the midst of all these people, I was sitting next to her on a couch and I said, so tell me what's up. And she says, all guys are jerks. To which I said, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But she told me this story about how she had been three weeks away from getting married to this other guy and how she had to break off the engagement because of some issues in his life. And I thought, that takes courage. If I were three weeks away from getting married, I think I'd just probably swallow hard and go through with it and probably be unhappy for the rest of my life just because of the embarrassment. 
That, that was an amazing character. And so I decided I need to get to know this girl. And then about a year and a half later, she said, I do. One of the best days of my life. Coming in at number seven, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a boy, and here's your daughter. Mom and dad, out there. You're with me, right? Remember when, remember when someone said it's, it's a boy or a girl? Remember how it made you feel? How many dads out there are dads of girls? Your dad, I'm a, I'm a father of a girl. Remember when you, when you heard that you were going to be a dad to a daughter? And how, like, I am the man. This is going to be my little girl. And whatever happens, I'm going to be, like, her protector. And I'm, I mean, like, that was a big deal. And then three years later, I found out I was going to be a dad to another little girl. And now I'm like, I'm the king of this castle now. Three women, my wife and two daughters. And then two years later, they said, it's a boy. And I'm like, I don't know how to prepare for this, but let's see what happens. And I've had more fun than I can shake a stick at. With the son, 16 years old now, and God led us to adopt a little girl in China. And I'll never forget when they walked around at that government office there in that Chinatown, and, and they said, here's your daughter. Changed my life forever. I understand God's love more now having adopted than I ever did before. Amazing words. Coming in, the next is, I love you, son. I love you, Paul. And I love you, dad. I had the, just this amazing mom and dad that told me they loved me every day. Mom and dad, tell your kids, they may be driving you crazy. <laughs> tell them you love them. Hey, Son and daughter out there, teenager, tell your mom and dad you love them. Text them occasionally. Say, love you, dad. Love you, mom. You know what? Because your, your parents love it. And that thing that, you know, you really want them to buy you, they might actually do it now. <laughs> Kidding. Coming in, the next is, is I was at this, I was at this um, young man's house. His young man's name was Justin I was, my, my dad is my hero, Paul Isaacs Sr., Major Paul Isaacs at that time in the Air Force, and he was dropping me off at Justin's house that night because I was doing a sleepover. Now, Justin is one of those guys, you guys, you may have had a friend like this growing up, or maybe you were this guy, that when you went to his house, Somehow, Justin was always finding trouble. Anybody know a guy like that? Raise your hand if you knew a guy like that. Raise your hand if you were that guy. Don't do that. Don't anybody do it. But my dad had driven, us, driven me up, and he, I was in the, the old blue Ford Pinto station wagon that we had the the privilege of driving, and I had my blue duffel bag that he had given me from, you know, the military, his military days, and so I was just, I was, I was ready to go. And he says, hold on, son, come back here. I had been about five or six steps away because I was already in, I mean, I was beelining it in. I was spending the night with Justin, and probably we were going to find trouble. And he says, come on back here, son. I said, yes, sir. He said, remember who you are.
Yeah. I'm the son of Paul Isaacs. I am Paul Richard Isaacs II. My dad is my hero. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to have the opportunity to embarrass him or I'm going to remember who I am and I'm not going to do that. That was a big moment in my life. I remember when I was going to the university I went to and I was getting ready to move to Washington, D.C. and I was getting ready to spend the summer there and be away from anybody that knew me and I knew I was going to have opportunities to do some things that maybe I had secretly longed to do with no one, no accountability, no nothing. No one will ever know. And it dawned on me as a guy who was discipling me and mentoring me, he said, hey, have, do you understand who you are because you... You gave your life to Jesus? I said, I think. He said, let me, give you a, let me give you a little sample. And he gave me some things. And he said, just so you know, you are blameless and free from accusation in Colossians. You are firmly rooted in Christ. One of the I am's is I'm chosen of God. I'm a son of light. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I've been given the spirit of power. I've been saved and set apart. I have the right to come boldly before the throne of grace. I have been born again, 1 Peter says. I am an alien and stranger in this world that I live in, 1 Peter 2 says. I'm an enemy of the devil. I'm forgiven on Jesus' account. I'm anointed by God. I'm a child of God, 1 John says. I'm born of God and I've been redeemed, Revelation says. If I go to Washington, D.C. and live a life that embarrasses my heavenly father, it would be the same thing is if you were to go home to your dog today and it meowed. Dogs don't meow. Dogs bark. Why? Because that's who they are. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. I need to act like it. That was a, that was a very, very powerful moment in my life. The next thing that was said to me was something I read in a book, and it was on my dad's office at, his, at, the, at the Air Force Base. It's, he had this plaque up that said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I can't take stuff with me. If I invest my life in things here that are gonna burn one day, they're not gonna last. Why would I do that? It doesn't make sense. But if I invest in people and in God's word, the things that are going to last, if I give my money, if I give my resources and my time for investments in heaven, that will last. Why would I, I wouldn't, it would be a fool not to invest in there and invest down here. I would be a fool to be consumed by titles, to be consumed by positions and jobs that, that maybe if I think are important, I'd be a fool to give up that for this. It doesn't make sense. I like how the poet said, he said, your name may not appear down here in this world's hall of fame. In fact, you may be so unknown that no one knows your name. But to have your name inscribed up there is greater yet by far than all the halls of fame down here and every man-made star. This crowd on earth may soon forget the heroes of the past. They cheer like mad until you fall. And that's how long you last. I tell you, friend, I wouldn't trade my name, however small, that's written there beyond the stars in that celestial hall for any famous name on earth or glory that they share. I'd rather be unknown down here and have my name up there. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
Coming in at number four, I remember when someone, a doctor came in as I was bleeding to death internally, and they couldn't figure out what was going on with me, and they said, Paul, you've got a 3% chance to live. And I received a blood transfusion that day, the first of 90 gallons of blood transfusions. My bone marrow had quit working. And I was given a terminal illness, and uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation threw a thing for me, and I, I remember thinking that Christmas, this is my last Christmas. And that was a very difficult thing, but it's a thing that changed my life forever. That's the thing in my life. That's the, you, you have a point in your life where you were once something, and I believe I was a believer before that. But I had never fully given my life and called him, really, you are the Lord of my life. And whatever you do, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. But when, when, when I remember when hearing those words, it changed everything for me. And I said from that moment on, God, whatever you want me to do, that's, that's, I'll do it. Whoever you want me to be, that's what I'll be. Most recently, in the last few years, um, I, had, I received a pretty grim report because of some of the things that happened because of those transfusions. And the doctor was sharing this report with me, and I was by myself, so no one was with me to hear this report. And I didn't, you know, I, I remember thinking I, at the time, man, I, I, I don't want my kids to not have a dad, you know, like I want to make it sure, get through this certain point. And, and I thought I'd add a little humor to the conversation with the doctor, you know, because it was pretty bad. And I said, hey, doc, I'd, uh, I'd like to hold my grandkids. And he was this, this German doctor, like he's really, really rough, you know. He goes, how old are your children? Like, I didn't need to hear that. Like, he, how old are, like, as, are your children getting old and getting ready to have, you know, grandkids? You know, your grand, like, no. It, it, uh, it was depressing. Y- y'all can laugh at that, by the way. That's, that's just, it, it was kind of a funny thing at the time. But you know what I found is that my weakness is a perfect place to be because God's strength is made perfect there. Second Corinthians, Paul said, he said, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. And I prayed three times that God would take this from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So I will more gladly boast in my sufferings, in my persecutions, in my distresses, in my hardships, because when I'm weak, I'm strong. I'm thankful that God has chosen to allow weakness in my life throughout my life, number one, to keep me close to him, number two, to keep me from ever wanting to brag about anything, but number three, he says his power is made perfect in weakness. Hopefully God's power is working through me. Number two, I was asked recently to, or in the last, uh, back in 2011, to run for office based on a thing called the heartbeat bill. Has anybody ever heard of a thing called a heartbeat bill? And it's an issue where, if you can detect a child's heartbeat, at that point, you can no longer abort that baby. And in Ohio at the time, it was, uh, it was one of these things where uh, it had passed the House. It was being held up in committee in the Senate. And the Republicans at that time controlled the Senate, but they weren't letting it get out for committee because they were afraid they would lose their power. You see, the thing of it is, is abortion to me is not a left or right issue. 
It's not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's not a liberal conservative issue. Life is a human rights issue. It is not a, polit a political issue, and it has been made such. And so I knew that I was going to have to stand before God someday and, 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 and decide, what am I going to do? So I, I actually ran against this Republican person because we needed this bill to pass because every day that it didn't, a school bus full of children were dying in Ohio. Now, I didn't win that race, but man, oh man, it's a fun story, and I wish I had the time to tell it. And uh, it was God preparing me for radical obedience. But it was a powerful thing that day when I heard that, those, will you run for office? The last thing, and I want to share before I close, is the, the words, and you're gonna, they're, they're going to sound really confusing. Are you ready? Here we go, last words. Will it make the boat go faster? Did you see that one coming? Will it make the boat go faster? Back in 2013, I ran across an article on Facebook, and it was called, How Some Young People with a Van Are Changing the Pro-Life Movement. And as I read this, I saw a picture of a guy who had tattoos and crazy hair, and he was, looked like a vegan hipster type guy, and it said he was pro-life. And I'm like, I actually think I'd like to read more of this article because this guy doesn't look like the typical guy who would call himself pro-life. I had this really negative impression of what it was, uh, of the average, uh, let's say, profile of a person who would consider themselves pro-life. Now, I was pro-life. I had already, you know, adopted a little girl. I didn't know how to get involved in the issue other than I knew I didn't want to run for office again. If you ever want to get your soul cleansed, run for office. You got to detox for a while. So anyway, I kept reading the article, and I thought, I want to help these young people. I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call and maybe give them some money. Or maybe I'll help them raise some money for what they're doing. And so I called, and the, the CEO, this young guy, answers his, his, his phone. And I'm like, what CEO answers their own phone? Um, and so I, I said, hey, I'd like to hear your story. Can I buy you some Chinese food tomorrow? So we show up at a Chinese restaurant. Because great things happen over Chinese food, right? So I order my Kung Pao chicken, and I, I, start, I, I start by asking the young man this. I said, by the way, does anybody remember the Jetsons, the old cartoon, the Jetsons? When this kid came in, it looked like he had been on a conveyor belt, and that water was sprayed on him, his clothes got put on him, and, and here he was, and he looked disheveled and, and, and just hair everywhere. And I, I said, tell me your story. He says, well, I was on this missions trip in New York City, at this not notorious abortion clinic. And as girls would come there, he goes, Paul, all I'm doing is observing. I'm not doing anything. I'm just observing these people. As a young girl would come, a young, another young person would kind of almost intercept him and say, hi, my name is so-and-so. Would you be interested in getting a free ultrasound and some free resources? If you are, there's this van, white van parked around the corner. And that doesn't sound shady at all, right? So the girl that invited him to come went in for a cup of coffee because it was a cold day, leaving him standing by himself, shivering in the cold. And this young 13-year-old girl, 13-year-old girl named Samantha comes up and says, I'm here for my appointment. 
thinking that he was an abortion clinic worker and was going to help her go into the abortion clinic. He says, I, I, I don't work for this clinic, and I'm, but I'm kind of here with these young people. No one had prepared it, by the way. But I'm here with these young people, and, and what we're doing is we're offering free resources and a free ultrasound if you're willing to get on this van parked around the corner. He said, Paul, I wouldn't let anybody that I love near that van. And he said, but this girl said yes. And he almost couldn't contain himself. And he walked her over to this van, and he didn't know what to do other than to stand there and pray. And so he starts praying for Samantha. 45 minutes later, she gets off the van, and she starts typing numbers into her phone, and sa he says, Samantha, who are you calling? And she says, I'm calling my mom to tell her she's going to be a grandma. I'm keeping this baby. He said, I saw eight girls choose life that day because they saw something that when Roe v. Wade passed years ago didn't exist, ultrasound technology. They could see what was going on, and they knew we can't take the life of this. They bonded with that little baby. And so we started this organization called Save the Storks, and we strategically chose the name Save the Storks and the stork because it's the neutral imagery of that nursery rhyme character, the thing in Dumbo that brings life into the world. It's not an elephant. It's not a donkey. Who hates storks, right? You know? And, but we focused our, our messaging on women because, let's face it, if you save a woman from the tragedy of abortion, you're going to save that baby, right? And that's, so, that's what we decided to do. Furthermore, we, what we found is that 84% of post-abortive women thought that abortion was their only choice. And we wanted to meet them with more choices. And we also chose the name Save the Storks because we wanted to start a conversation and not a bait, kind of a winsome way of approaching this thing. What well, we have found that people that might be on the other side of this issue always seem to be about saving an animal. Have you ever noticed that? So people will see me wearing a Save the Storks t-shirt and they'll come up to me and say, hey pal, I've heard about the spotted owl and I've heard about the whale, but I didn't know anybody's killing storks. Who's killing these storks? We have a little fun with that. They're getting ready to sell everything they own to start saving them, you know, this little bird. And then they find out we're in the pro-life movement. They find themselves in a conundrum. We at Save the Storks want to approach women and the pregnancy centers that we partner with, we want to approach women that are in this, in this tragedy, in this, in, this, in this situation, with the posture that we too are broken. And that with love and compassion, at one of the darkest places in all of humanity, an abortion clinic, we want to meet them, not with picketing signs and protests or, or graphic images. We want to simply offer hope and more informed choices. And we want to do it in a way that Jesus would, the way he met the woman at the well, the way he approached a woman caught in adultery, the way he approached everyone. Because see, Jesus, according to John, was full of grace and truth. And see, grace is in the way that pregnancy centers reach out to women and are, they're postured there. And truth is in the ultrasound. And four out of five girls that get on board a stork bus and see an image of their baby end up choosing life. In 2014, our first stork bus, we saved 394 lives in New Jersey and the abortion clinic that we parked in front of closed down. We have 53 buses now in operation, 16 more are coming, and we're making a difference. And there's a role for the church to play. The church needs, actually, I'm going to say something very bold. The church must 
be a part of this. Brings me to the boat. I'd like to share the story of what I said. There was a a yachtsman that was hired by the New Zealanders to win back a trophy, a coveted trophy called the America's Cup. Back in the early uh, 1990s, he was hired. And and when he was hired, they hired him because he was a a no-nonsense type of guy. There's all kinds of things that he could have focused on. Each each boat cost somewhere between eight and $10 million. So many factors go into success, so many variables, and they had lost so many times and they wanted to win the trophy back. But he put everything through a filter. And the filter was this question. Will what we're doing make the boat go faster? Will the money that you want to spend right now, will that make the boat go faster? Because if it doesn't, we're not spending it. If your efforts don't make the boat go faster, we're not doing it. And they won won back-to-back trophies in 95 and 2000. So you say, what does that have to do with you, Paul? What does that have to do with the pro-life movement? And I'm glad you asked that question. What is the, will it make the boat go faster question for me? Will having a stork bus in every major city in front of every abortion clinic and Planned Parenthood across this nation with the approach that we're talking about with pregnancy centers, will it accomplish the goals of those of us who consider ourselves pro-life? So you have to say, well, what is the goal? Is it to win a cultural war? Hey, I want you to know, I want to win the hearts and minds of young people. I truly do, and we must. Is it that I want to get the right Supreme Court justices on the bench or the right people in offices? Hey, I think we need to engage in the right way in politics. But we've been doing that for 45 years, and it's not really gotten us very far. But maybe, just maybe, it's saving lives the way Jesus would. Maybe that's the goal I should have. And just as freedom from slavery was the goal of the Underground Railroad, and just as saving Jewish lives was the goal of the hiding place, save the storks and the pregnancy centers we part with and the church, we're going to be taking this polarizing justice issue and turning it as a springboard to share the gospel with men and women and children all over the United States. So like Martin Luther King Jr., I too have a dream, and it's a big one as well. It's that many years from now that I'm going to walk with my grandchildren through what used to be an abortion clinic, only now it's going to be a a daycare center, or maybe it's going to be a preschool or a real woman's clinic, or maybe it'll be like the museum that I visited when I was in Dachau, Germany. As I, I walked around and saw the images of what humans were capable of doing, my grandkids are going to see what we were capable of doing from 1973 up to the moment that we saw it end. And invariably, one of my grandkids are going to say to me, Papa, How was this allowed to happen? What did you do? And I'm going to be able to look them in the eye and I'm going to say, you know, your mama and I and some young people with a van, some churchgoers, some pregnancy center workers, we helped make abortion unthinkable and unimaginable. Imagine a world without your pastor, without that person who discipled you, without your maid of honor or your best man, or the person that helped save your marriage at its time of greatest need. Imagine a world where their impact was erased. You see, our passion to save moms and babies from abortion is going to impact the lives of millions of people for generations to come 
And our impact is going to matter a thousand years from now. What we are doing is going to matter. Let's change the world together here in Maryland, starting here in Maryland, saving lives and advancing the gospel. We all crave to have a purpose in our life, God's purpose. We're all going to give an account to God someday. People are counting on us to walk in God's purpose for our lives. And it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God and his people. Will you join us today? We pray. Thanks for listening to the Messages Podcast, the First Baptist Church of Laurel. Want to get a hold of us or know more about us? Go to our website, fbclaurel.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use FBC Laurel. If you're in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, join us at one of our services on Sunday at 8 a.m., 1045 a.m. in English or Spanish. We look forward to connecting with you. The Messages.